The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And welcome to America's Web Radio. And uh, we've got a great show, a veteran's place. And uh, we've got Mr. Veteran himself, uh, Dr. Don Moeller. He's not only an oral surgeon and fa- an, uh, maxillofacial surgeon, but also a medical doctor. And also, he was a medic in Vietnam. So he's got... He's got us covered every way from Sunday, and uh, it looks like we're going to need it. But uh, we always start, well, one, good morning, Don. Good morning, Dave, and great to be here, buddy. Thank you, sir. And uh, we're going to start out like we always do with our any show that is military or our first responder related. We start off with a silent prayer, and then we'll be back in just a minute. And make sure your heart's beating. We'll be right back. Thank you, and amen. So, let's make sure your heart's beating. Young man, young man, he can hang, he can hang, feels good, feels good, so good, so good, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, pick him up, pick him up, put him down, put him down, first the left, first the left, then the right, then the right, out of sight, out of sight, dynamite, dynamite, drill sock, drill sock, leading the way, leading the way, rock your shoulder, rock your shoulder, and there we go. We uh, have now officially kicked off a veteran's place for today. So we're uh, ecstatic with that and uh, look forward to a great show. It's always a great show. Dr. Don does a fantastic job, and I'm going to turn it over to him. So with that being said, Don, it's all yours. Thanks, Dave. And, and uh and thanks for having America's Web Radio step up and sponsor uh, this program and series of programs. I want to mention a couple things. One, it's obvious we are not giving uh, medical advice here. What I'm doing is sharing uh, with you recent research and papers that I've read and texts that have things that are applicable. Uh, if you believe, and today we're talking about suicide, if you believe, <clears throat> you're in one of these little baskets and might be affected. You need to, to touch bases with your uh, psychologist, your psychiatrist, or or your chaplain. And uh, we want, and if you're a first responder, you have your chaplain departments in your hospital if you're a nurse on the front line. 
uh, you have the appropriate authority. So I want to just reiterate that what we're doing here <clears throat> is a briefing, and this is not to be considered as treatment. And I want to also, uh, Scott Barber, who just finished his show, I'm totally on board with Scott Barber. Uh, and all our patients are equal. And in the military, uh, that is very true. In, in 20 years in the military and 20 more years in, in civilian, I personally have never, ever confronted another physician or nurse or doctor who treated anybody differently. Uh, God made all humans, and we treat them all the same. And we go the extra mile. And to be more specific, I had a, had a Hispanic surgeon take my appendix out. I had an African-American surgeon take my gallbladder out. So totally on board with what Scott's saying. And also some good, a couple good things. We're going to talk about suicide today, and it's going to be an extended conversation. Uh, and we may continue it for a couple more because it's, it's really a, a critical factor. Uh, number one, a shout-out to the African-American Military Museum in Habsburg. I donated my uh, collection of military vehicles to them because they've been overlooked, in my opinion, for 20 years. So they were transported. The first load of four went down. So hello, Hattiesburg African-American Museum. And the next thing uh, I want to I want to talk about is your your cadence calls, <clears throat> and in a way, that's part of a problem with the military community. It's the who are we're a team approach, and you can consider an individual who's not on the military team or EMT or first responders. They leave they live a different life. They don't. Their lives don't depend so much on the people at, at the office. And so what we have going here is from the day one that you're in the military or first responders, you're aware that you're a team, and there's no way that you're going to be a single hero. Uh, out, obviously, outstanding awardees of the Medal of Honor are, are as close to it as we can get. But of the millions of veterans who've served, we have been... And I hate the word indoctrinated, but pick a better word. You know, we, we've been admitted to the team and with the cadence calls and the, and the group exercises and building the team spirit. And so the reason I'm bringing this up, it's so critically important to realize uh, that suicide starts with lack of support. And it's a lonely situation to be in. And we're going to talk about some of the things that impact that. And we're going to be specific. And, and here's the thing. Uh, this stuff seems so non-technical. And they, you think, well, how could it have any value? Well, I can tell you from practicing medicine for years that it's critical to start with a health survey, a social survey of the family. How's the family life going? If you have a distraught mom with a bunch of kids uh, and your kid's sick, just getting to your office with their sick kid is a major event. And so in the military, you have 
been challenged to not complain. You've been challenged not to go on sick call. And you've been challenged with a, a duty, a commission, to help people. And when the war cooks off, these duties become even more important. So when I have a veteran coming in my office for care, we're treating, uh, you understand, what, a pack animal. You know, <laughs> the wolf pack, they work together. They have a leader. They they fall in line. They got a mission. And so, and I'm a member of that pack as well. So you have to understand when you get sick and you're legitimately sick, your first thought is, it's not about me. It's not about me. Where's the remainder of our, our, our fellow citizens? They go, hey, it's all about me. I'm not coming to work. But the team spirit, the hoo-ah, there, I had a friend, he was a nurse anesthetist, a buddy. He finished airborne school with a broken foot. Matter of fact, I had two buddies that finished airborne training with broken feet, and they pushed through. And so you have to understand that the things that we're going to start discussing now uh, have critical importance, although they don't seem to be that way. Now, we talked about, and I made an analogy about the... Uh, flexible frame picture with a, with a rubber picture inside. You have to understand that, that that frame, you have to understand every morning you get up, you are subject to living in that frame. And in the military, that frame is bent and stretched and you perceive the world differently. You have a different worldview. And you need to understand that you are a team player from the day one, from the first six seconds they scream at you getting off that recruit bus, you are made to be a member of a team. And many guys really never leave that team. Once a veteran, always a veteran. So we're going to talk about a couple things here. Number one, the, your mental health issue, regardless of what it is, you have a family and friends. It does not exist in a vacuum. And you go, wait a minute, you know, I have a headache. Yeah, well, you've got, you carry that. But if your attitude changes when you have that headache, your your friends and your employees are going to notice it. What are some of the things that can happen? Well, you have increased substance abuse, increased military sexual trauma. You have episodes of depression, anxiety, domestic and violence increases. We're going to talk about these things. There's a thing called intermittent explosive disorder, and I, it's, it's amazing that the initials are IED because it's, it's, it, it belongs that way. It was unintentional. And then you have reintegration and readjustment problems. When you come back, you see, your family moves with you whether they go with you or not. If you are deployed, your support group has changed. And when you return from your if you were, did an unaccompanied uh, tour, you're coming back, and your family situation is not the same. And so these are some warning things. You think, well, how could just deploying by myself and then coming back to my family be a traumatic experience? It, unfortunately, it doesn't matter if you understand because the science is behind it. Your, your family looks to your leadership, and when you can't give it, the other, your significant other wife and senior child will move into that position. And when you get back, you're not 
you're not in the same situation, and that can lead to stress. Well, there's stress created for veterans when you deploy to a situation and when you come back. And we're not even talking about necessarily combat in this situation. So what increases your chances of taking your own life? Well, let's, let's look at a couple things. One, this is critical. If you give me a population of 10,000 soldiers, the literature can predict very closely the percentage of these soldiers and veterans and first responders which have the potential to take their life. But it cannot predict out of that population pool which ones will take their life in a month or two months or in a week. And this is very recent information. So both things are true. One, yes, if you look at a huge population, you can get pretty accurate assessment of how many people will take their own life. You can only, you can always uh, look at the numbers, but you cannot look at those numbers and say, given these situations, are these uh, particular diagnostic uh, criteria? able to predict who will commit suicide in the next couple of weeks? And the answer is they are not very good. Does that mean that you, if put it this way, if in doubt, check it out. And that is what, you, what this program is about, okay? So certain things like being in hostile enemy fire, combat, when you witness casualties, you're a candidate for PTSD and suicide. Were you injured and, and, and hospitalized? That increases your chances to be included in the suicide group. If, if you have also been in Graves registration and worked in the emergency room and encountered dead soldiers, dead veterans, that can have a significant effect as well. So these are things that you need to, to write down and go, well, you know what? The first part of getting cured for a disease is realizing it could be you. Now, the numbers that I'm going to give you are not particularly uh, contributory to this statement, but I do want to give them to you. 17% of all U.S. suicides are in veterans. Uh, well, 17% of all the people in the United States are not veterans. I think currently the number of people is less than 1%. 12% of all U.S. Army suicides occur within 12 months of a hospital discharge. The next fact, the majority of military suicides occur shortly after discharge from military service. Well, these are just facts. Why? Because you sing the hoo cadences and you've been taken away from your team, your support team, who you rely on. And also, you know, think about a job, you know, when you get out of the military. <laughs> when you're in the military and you report in your uniform and they look at your ribbons and badges and awards, within 15 seconds you know who you're talking to. Well, in the civilian world, I mean, anybody can buy a nice suit and half the people in Silicon Valley wear hoodies and T-shirts. So we're in a culture that the first thing that you present to someone is who you are, 
is where are your awards? And when you go to a new unit, that's who you are. That's why the military has relies on on award systems. Uh, and just for 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 grins, try wearing a ranger tab, which I am not a ranger. Wear a ranger tab into a ranger unit when they ask you what was your class number. They'll come down on you like a ton of bricks. Well, apparently in in, in civilian world, you can go out if you win the lottery, you can buy a ten thousand dollar suit. And where to work in, the, in your jobs to rake leaves at the company. The point I'm trying to make is that we are in a, in a social context. We are inculcated with the cadence calls, being on time, being a team player. When this changes, when your support group, and you lose your support group every time you move, especially if you leave a combat unit, those are those those buddies in your squad and platoon uh, are your lifeblood, and when you lose that relationship, that's that's a big deal. So strong bonds are formed with your friends. Responsibilities and duties make the man. It's steady employment. You have a sense of belonging. You belong the minute you put the uniform on. You have a sense of responsibility. When you pin your stripes on or stick them on with Velcro now, I guess. All right. Many of these protective factors do not apply to discharge your retired veterans. The protective factors are your unit support. You have psychological support. You have mental or mental health support. You have general medical support. These are critical. When you've left the military, they're much more difficult to obtain. So that may be an interesting thing to consider. Say, wait a minute, I can't get to the VA for this care. Now, I will, although I'm at odds with the VA, they do now have a policy that if you are a veteran of any discharge status, you are entitled to mental health care. So if you say, hey, I'm having problems, get to the VA, call that number, suicide, they will answer. I've called them just to check them out and told them so. I'm just you know, like checking the system out. They will answer, and they will. They were not happy that I did that. Uh, it doesn't matter because I'm uh, doing an expose, as you all know, on the VA treatment PTSD. However, they do answer their phone, and this latest initiative, if you were ever a veteran, you have a right to mental health care. Show up and get it. So let's just review. If you've had combat exposure... Basically, they found it's not just the number of deployments. That does not correlate, but the fact, I mean, with PTSD and suicides. However, combat wounds, PTSD, and other mental health problems. Another thing is major depression. Major depressive disorder follows PTSD, and we'll talk about that more. Traumatic brain injury. I had a gentleman, a retired, not, I just make him a soldier. He had 10 freaking TBIs. I just stared at him. 10 TBIs and still carried on the missions. I mean, being a vet, being an ex-company medic, all I can tell you is you just look at your buddies and go, what are you thinking? So we're going to talk about a, a real serious problem here. One is feelings of not belonging or being a burden to others. Now, why are these important? 
when you're singing the hoo songs, you're part of a team, you're part of a member. I mean, you're a, a member of a team. Everybody contributes. Every guy in the squad has got to contribute. In World War II, and I guess today, too, I, don't, I can't speak for that, but the mortar squad, the mortar team, everybody carries a couple rounds. It doesn't matter who you are. I said, maybe not the medic, but everybody carries the mortar rounds for the mortar guy because he can't carry. Well, the effectiveness of your platoon and company in combat weighs directly on you carrying that load. And if it's time to engage the enemy, a bag full of excuses isn't going to save your life. So that's what we're trained with. If you're hurting, you're still carrying the mortar around. You're carrying it through your friends. Well, that's a huge... Yeah, go ahead. Okay, we're going to take a break right quick, and uh, we'll be back with Dr. Moeller right after this. This is America's Web Radio. Would you like to have a show, talk about your business, or express your opinion on America's Web Radio? Just email gm at americaswebradio.com and we'll get back to you. Thank you. Do you love classic and special interest cars? If so, listen to our podcast every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time here on America's Web Radio. Or find us on your favorite podcast site, iTunes, Spotify, or any of the others out there. We'll talk about classic cars. We'll talk to car guys. We'll talk to clubs that are here at our facility here in Classic Auto Mall. And we'll also talk about Classic Auto Mall and how we can help you sell your classic or special interest car. So give us a listen every Saturday morning from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Thanks. If you have lost a loved one and were left with a firearms collection and are not sure how to dispose of them safely, or you may have firearms you no longer want, this message is for you. I am a licensed FFL firearms dealer in the state of Florida, specializing in estate firearm purchases. It is very important that all firearm transactions be handled according to state and federal laws. You can contact me for information at firearm liquidation service at outlook.com, or you can call or text me at 407-921-8100-247 and ask for James. Again, for information contact me at Firearm Liquidation Service at Outlook.com or call or text me at 407-921-8100. All communications are strictly confidential. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we do appreciate you listening, and we also appreciate the fact that uh, we get text messages from you, and uh, we always pass them on and uh, would love to hear from you. All you have to do is send us that message, and um, we'll either have Don address it, or if it's for one of our other hosts, we'll be glad to pass it on to them. But we love hearing from you. If you have a topic that you want to address then let us know, and we'll address it. Or we'll have the appropriate person address it. That'll be that'll even be better. If we have somebody that really knows what they're talking about, we'll have them address it. I won't address it. Anyway, we're glad to have you listening in, and we're glad that uh, 
you're having a good day and that you're listening to America's Web Radio. Whether you're li- all of our shows are archived, as is this one, and uh, you can go back and listen to them any time you want to. So with that being said, let's get back to Dr. Moeller. Hey, Dave. We were talking about uh, the, the feeling of a burden. Well, if you're by yourself in a business, uh, you're not going to have the same burden effect as you're, as letting your team down. And so you, number one, you have to be aware if you're feeling that you're a burden to somebody or you're not belonging. You go, well, why would that be important? Well, it's one of those situations that it can increase your chance for suicide. And that's why it's important. You need to just simply step back and ask yourself, wait a minute, why am I so gloomy in the morning? Why are things looking so blue? Well, it might be that you feel that you're either a burden to your family, that's your social support network as well, or your team, especially and also including first responders and nurses. So we're highly team-oriented. And think of the cadences. I keep bringing it up that you sing. I mean, what would happen if you had a law firm, a huge law firm, and they all, your, your boss suggested you sing cadences on the way into the courthouse? I, I don't think that would go over at all. But in the military, that's, that's expected. So here's some other things that you need to know that you may be falling into the danger area. Have you been given a disciplinary action? Well, what is a disciplinary action? Back in the day, and Dave, you know, uh, when I was enlisted, they didn't bother with Article 15s. They just put a rifle in your hand and you ran around the track or grinder until you had an attitudinal change. Well, now, you know, they're going to uh, put you in a, a written disciplinary action. I. You know, when I went to air assault school, I did not graduate, but I attended. I was a dentist. And they were looking out for Dr. Moeller. And they made me go in the bathroom and clean it, clean the bathroom with a toothbrush. And I was laughing. And that didn't bode well for me. But I remember doing that as a private and not a captain. So my point is, who cares? The next day is a new day. But when you get a disciplinary action, and you're a team member, that can really hurt. So if you've had a recent disciplinary action, you need to take that seriously. You need to talk to your squad leader or platoon leader and say, look, and I'll tell you something else, having been on the bottom of the stack as a private in the Spec 4 or Spec 5, I get officers who didn't really do a great job of looking at it your way. And that, you, you say, I was doing my best. Well, if you got a new second lieutenant, and I'm not picking on them, but those are facts, that really doesn't know how to run a unit yet, you may have gotten an unfair disciplinary action, and that will eat at your guts. Or if they've taken some rank from you. Uh, I had a friend who I really respect who was a platoon sergeant, and he said he made, made staff sergeant four times and uh, on his way to master sergeant. So... <laughs> you got to put it in perspective. Now, there are also career-threatening changes if you say, wait a minute, you know, I my knees are grinding 
my cartilage is shot. And they say I can't be in my unit anymore. <laughs> well, wait a minute. You can still work at your law firm or teach college or biology with with clicking knees. So your your livelihood is threatened. And if and if you really want to be on the team, you go. Wait a minute. This is who I am. I, I wear airborne ring wings or aerosol wings, and that's who I am. Well, that's going to have an an effect on on your 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 potential to commit suicide. And you go, well, wait a minute. If you're isolated from your unit, okay, or your command and leadership under significant stress, hey, we work in the military 24-7 for our entire time. And the, the typical thing is, well, I had it, uh, I put it in my calendar, I'd be off, and they go unchange it. Sad plans, unchange them, and they just keep trucking on. That's a tough way to live, and it's tough in the social environment. So to remind you again, you live in a social environment at work, part of the team, and your family's relying on you. It is stressful, and you have no control. What other job can you have where if they, one of your supervisors says, get a haircut, and you don't, and you can technically go to jail for that? That just let you uh, know uh, when I was drafted back in uh, Vietnam Iraq they wrote us for our haircuts well they were short neurosurgeons and I will never forget seeing a long haired hippie full colonel neurosurgeon I, I had no idea he was on active duty but you wait a minute he's a colonel he doesn't have to have his haircut they're well aware of that and they're not going to do anything about it but your hair length can put you in jail so you have to understand that you have to look at your situation through the eyes of a team animal, of a team member, a pack member. You're not the same as a lawyer who lost a case. Okay. Now, what are some assessment of risk factors that we want to go through? Well, one is the sense of hopelessness. That sometimes is manifested by insomnia, continual agitation, and current biosocial stressors. And what are some specific things? Well, you may have a substance abuse disorder that's got high prevalence in PTSD, uh, I mean, soldiers with PTSD. You may have a mood disorder that you really are having a tough time. You may have current suicidal ideations or a prior attempt. When you've had prior attempts, these are you have to you're a different kind of guy and gal you have to you have to reach out much sooner much sooner than someone else so the other thing that you've got and you've got a triad here you've got socioeconomic psychosocial and spiritual and we're going to talk about these independently socioeconomic hey unless you've been a private and tried to get through life uh, on that budget it's tough. If you're a PFC or a Spec 4 or an EMT or fireman and, and you have a little family who's counting on you, it's tough with inflation in this economy to provide. That's called a socioeconomic because, remember, we're team players and we have a strong, very strong uh, ethic to provide for members of our team. The psychosocial, your family unit is changing. 
It's changing all the time. Your kids are growing up. They're becoming uh, teenagers. And uh, <laughs> that's about as stressful as a war. But at any rate, the next one is your spiritual. We're going to spend an entire four episodes on moral injury. And there's really no way around the problem of moral injury. You can you look at it from a clinical success standpoint because those that have recognized that they have moral injuries do much better uh, on the healing path and the reintegration. That's without, without saying. And again, I'm going to put a plug in for Harold Koenig. I've never met him, but he does an outstanding Dr. Harold Koenig, uh, MD, psychiatrist at Duke Center for Spirituality. They have a free newsletter that you can get. But the chaplains are going to be involved, are involved, and going to be involved in a big way. So you may have a, a sense of purposelessness, as a, which is a moral injury and spiritual thing going on. You go, yeah, but I don't have a headache because of it and whatever. It doesn't matter. You've got a spiritual, you've got a moral injury, and you need to take care of it. All right. So we're going to move on here. Let me get out my thing here. All right. So if you think you're in one of those groups that we've been talking about, you really need to reach out. If you're single, reach out to a battle buddy, reach out to your squad leader, or if you're EMT, reach out to your unit group guy and let them know, hey, you know, I'm, I'm not feeling real well. And I listened to this doctor on the radio show, and he said, you know, some of the things he mentioned, I've got. And I just want to let you know that I need your phone number or your girlfriend or your sister or brother or parents. You have to have a plan uh, that they can initiate. And you need to have a conversation. You go, ah, it's kind of embarrassing. If you've contemplated suicide, it's even more embarrassing to take your own life. And why? Because it, one suicide, I want to reiterate this, we discussed it briefly, there's a ratio of six survivors for every completed suicide. You don't do it in absentia. You don't do it in a vacuum. There are 115 individuals who are exposed to a single suicide. One in five suicides had a devastating impact or major life disruption. 100, this is in a 2019 study, 135 people are affected by a suicide. So you're not doing this as a private thing. It's gonna, it's gonna have a huge ripple effect. So to translate it into military terms, I believe a 135 people is a, an enforced company. I'm not sure. Uh, so an entire company will be affected. We, we can get that down. Okay. So let's move on here. Some additional things that we want to talk about on the mental health issues. Uh, your suicide grief. If you had a, somebody in your unit commit suicide and you think, well, it's been X number of months and I'm not better. Well, you need to understand that the suicide grief, grief recovery is nonlinear. What does that mean? 
you're not going to plot on a calendar the day you're going to get better. When I give antibiotics for maxillofacial infections and do surgery, I kind of put people on a two-week timeline that I want them almost back to normal. Well, not with suicide. It's non-linear. Not only that, there is no time frame at all because it's complex. You don't fix your brain the same way you fix a broken bone or appendicitis, which is, I consider, the best operation in the world. Number two or three or four, it's intense grief, and it's chronic. And grief does not always move in a forward directional direction. It's bi-directional. So you think, well, I've been struggling with this for three months or four months. It's got to get better. No, it doesn't have to. That's why you should know that it's bi-directional, and you may need to talk to your chaplain or your mental health counselor. Who said dealing with suicide of a fellow friend in your unit is going to be easy? Well, it's just as bad as the enemy getting them, so don't expect it to be easy. Now, when will things return to normal? Well, the way you define normal, the answer can be a long, long time. And it's not going to be, again, linear. It's not going to be better every day. You may have reversals. So what's going to go through your mind? Well, you're probably going to struggle with why it happened. How could you have helped this person and intervened, or how could you have prevented it? These are very difficult questions. The fact that they're difficult does not mean (laughs) that they don't have a solution. But if you are a friend of someone who commits suicide, you really need to consider talking to somebody about it and being aware that your your anxiety, your insomnia may fluctuate because this is not a trivial a trivial thing. In fact, I've had patients who had a loved one die unexpectedly and they had PTSD and they said, yeah, but I wasn't in a war zone. Yet you need to look at the expanded definition of PTSD. So a suicide, especially in someone in your squad or unit or company, may even lead to a potential for PTSD. You have to consider that. Now you think, well, how do you how do you deal with this? Remember, I'm talking to the survivors now. Well, there are support groups, and you need to find them. With the Internet, there's truckloads of them. You could probably... <coughs> find a lot, a huge amount of information, even locally, on support groups. They will support the healing process. That's a guarantee. You will, there is, first of all, the need to seek support. You say, hey, I'm, I'm a hula guy or gal, and we're, we're just going to push through this. Well, the reason I'm bringing up all these points is that the social, biological, spiritual socioeconomic context is going to start kicking bricks out from under your stability and kicking the slats out. You're not going to be as strong as you think you are, and you're going to have to deal with it. And be prepared to do it. deal with it. Forewarned is forearmed. And that's, Dave, I just want to let you know, this is 
what the program's about. Forewarned is forearmed, and it can and it can really really help. Uh, Dave, do you have to go to a message now, or are we still good? No, we're still good. Okay, let's talk about substance abuse. <clears throat> now, in the military, because of the drug test, piss test—that's the medical term. Uh, heavy alcohol abuse in the past twelve months is in, it occurs in about five point four percent of the military. Now, let's have a little Army, Navy, Air Force going. It varies. It varies by service. Fifty <laughs> binge drinking. Okay, guys. USMC, 12%. Navy, HUA, 6%. Army, 4%. And Air Force is 2.7%. The civilian is 0.7%. So why is this? This is your way of trying to deal with trauma. If you find yourself slipping into those statistics, you need to talk to somebody about it because it's not going to get better. And especially, imagine you have no support social support group, you don't have your unit guys, your battle buddies not around, and so you're sitting there staring into a glass of booze, you really have to have to start uh, ringing the alarm bells. Uh, there's, you have to understand, it's a tremendous strain on the family system, sub, that's substance abuse. So not only can you be subject to socioeconomic, you know, your job and providing for your family, or your social, psychobiological, that is the effect of alcohol on your brain and your attitude. You have to, you have to just make a little checklist, and when you get, it, get some of these checks, you, you need to do something about it. It's kind of like sitting on a fire. Eh, we'll get it after we finish our coffee. No, you need to call somebody now. Now, what does substance abuse do? Specifically, how does it work? Well, it impacts the ability to communicate with others. It impacts your roles, as you understand it. It impacts the finances, your family routines, your ability to parent, employment, and other dimensions of family life. You are not just a single person with a suicidal tendency or PTSD and depression. You exist in that rubber picture with a with a plastic framework you live in a distorted world when you enter the world of considering suicide and you're not going to bail yourself out that's why you need a checklist and it's not anything to be shameful for why because the rest of the people out there the civilians didn't go through what you did they did not have to cope they did not have to watch their friends die and there's no doubt that the people fighting in Ukraine are going to have some of the worst PTSD, I think, that's been on this planet. That's, that's a topic for another show. The family member that has to be living with someone who engages in substance abuse is going to be affected because substance abuse, whether it's alcohol, drugs, or whatever, you have to look for a strain on your entire family. This is not going to be done in isolation. You may hide the booze, but it's not going to be done in isolation. And you have to understand that your your team, your squad, your company, your, your barracks buddies, and your family are going to try to normalize and adapt 
to the situation. They are, by nature, they want you as the leader, and they will support you and overlook your your tendencies towards substance abuse. Rarely do they immediately come out and confront you because they know how you're going to respond. So the framework that you need to do and look at and employ is you need to ask your support groups, is something wrong? Because remember, you're on the rubber canvas picture in the plastic frame, and it's been distorted, and you've been living in that so long. So put it down on the checklist. The key word here is network. Uh, you live in a network, whether you want to believe it or not. Even your mailman is in your network because he's bringing you mail, which may be good or bad. But you're in a network. You're not going through this alone. So you have to understand. Make a checklist. How's my family life going? How's the socioeconomic? Am I spending uh, too much money on a hobby? Or there's not enough money for your family, the things they want? You have to make a checklist and start rating yourself, just like passing the PT test. You know, to, to get in to the Army or whatever, you got to do 30 or 40 push-ups, whatever. So many sit-ups. If you can't do them, they won't let you in. You need to make a checklist, and we're used to those. Now, deployment and reintegration can trigger additional stressors than when they can lead to alcohol and substance abuse. Let me repeat that. If you're just changing, working at a business, a company making things, and they're moving you down the street, that's not going to really be considered deployment and reintegration. When you leave your support group in a combat zone and come back, these are stressors. They're stressors because we sing cadences. We are team animals. We play with the team. We win with our team. And, and most importantly, that is the whoop and morph of who we are. When you put your uniform on with your badges and medals, you're pretty much telling the world, this is who I am. I don't think you'd wear that into a courtroom. I'm picking on lawyers because they're fun to pick on. If you were an attorney and you walked into a courtroom and you practiced in your old military uniform, I'm not positive, but I think they'd ask you to take it off. Because you're, oh, you're trying to influence the jury. Um, I think, Dave, I think that'd be a good enough reason just off the cuff. The point being, you put your uniform on and you are already admitting that you're part of a team and you're saying, not only am I the leader of someone else's support group, you are in a support group. You have to understand when you're dealing with potential suicide, you have to view yourself as a member of a team. You have to have to understand that you can be subconsciously thinking, I am a burden to my team. I am I am making this problem worse for your family and your and your team, and the people you're supposed to be taking care of. Well, when you check that box, you need to talk to somebody about it. And when you do that, you'll be in professional hands, and they will be able to help you bail that 
bail out of that situation. Now, there's another pr- problem that the military has, and they're working, and I'm sure it exists everywhere. It's called military sexual trauma, MST. Well, this is sexual assault or repeated threatening sexual harassment that occurred while a veteran was in the military. That's a pretty general definition, and it fits. Rape, unwanted sexual touching, this is for males and females. Grabbing, threatening, offensive remarks about a person's body or sexual activities. Plain and simple. If you've been subject to this in the military, plain and simple, it's military sexual trauma. And it's amazing, they had a, some generals, it was a couple years ago, not too many, and in, in down in Africa command, one was released for sexual whatever indiscretions, and the next guy that took over, doggone if that guy wasn't released for the same thing. I mean, if you can't figure the problem out with a star or two on your shoulder, I guess you kind of you kind of deserve to be put on the street. Now, the thing that you under need to understand, and these are the statistics, in a survey of sixty thousand veterans who served in Operation Enduring Freedom, OEF, and Iraqi Freedom, 41% of the women and 4% of the men experienced military sexual trauma. Now, if if that was Ebola, this country would be freaking out, burning cities down, like in the days of the plague, okay? 60,000 veterans who served in Operation Enduring Freedom, OEF, and Iraqi Freedom, 41% of the women and 4% of the men experienced military sexual trauma. I repeated that. I know I'm, I know I did. And I did that on purpose. Victims remain reluctant to report this. And here is the critical thing. When you go in for any medical exam, I don't care if you're going in for tonsils, you put down, I was a victim of military sexual trauma because it's critical to your care. And it, and also PTSD, we mentioned that in previous. Put that down on your medical history. And let me tell you something. As a physician, we have medical forms to fill out. There are very few that have, have you suffered from sexual trauma or PTSD? Well, if they don't have that, write it in. Yet that record is protected from prying eyes, and you don't have to go into it. But when I treat patients, I had a patient in, in my surgical practice that I was counseling for uh, some uh, oral surgical procedures. This individual, young lady, about 22, just broke down crying. And I said, ma'am, it's not this bad. An anesthesiologist is going to put you to sleep. And she still cried. And I said, it's not that bad. I've done 30,000 people. She goes, I was raped two months ago and I can't sleep. Well, even if you're in a dental office, not even if, I mean, dentists do a good job. But you say, look, I have to talk to the dentist. You know, I've got PTSD. I was raped or whatever. You know, when you lose control, obviously when you're being sedated for a surgical procedure, when was the last time you lost control? It was when you were being raped. So you have to understand, it's part of your your endemic whoop and wharf of your structure now. 
you have increased fear, increased panic, shame, anger, and mistrust issues. And you are in, in need of additional emotional support. And I can guarantee you, you have no idea the number of patients that I've had in my office, all the way from top-ranked professionals to whoever you want to imagine, privates, that have experienced PTSD to the point that they're very, very brittle, easy to have fear, easy to panic. So you just you just have to put that down on your on your treatment form, please. Just a little note, little star. They'll read it in the remarks section. You know, if if you just put a little star or asterisk and say, please ask me about my PTSD, that's all you have to put. And that way it's not even written down. The doctor will keep it filed away. Okay. So where are we going now? Domestic violence. Well, violence is our middle name in the military. And we live in a pretty pretty hoo culture again. Remember, you're part of your culture. You're part of the hoo singing, the chants, the jodies. What other group does that? None. So these are stressors that are built in to the military system. Do the job. Do it now. A lot of people are retiring on you, counting on you. Well, when you go home and you've got two problems, you've got some teenagers that have some things they want to do with their dad and have been waiting, and you've got the sergeant and the colonel telling you, I don't care what you had planned on planet, unplan it because you are in the military, buddy. Well, that affects your support systems. Even though you are no longer deployed over deployed overseas, you are still your main mission is drop what you're doing and support it. You have to look at that rubber frame picture and the rubber frame canvas. That distorts your family image. It distorts your ability to be a provider and engage in, in interpersonal communications with your family. Remember, the network depends on communications, your family's positions. They're trying to overcome and adapt to leave their dad in their system. But if you deployed, they had a new command structure, and they're used to operating under that one. So just being aware of the fact that that's, this can happen, that you can have unintended consequences domestic violence. Now, the military, again, the military needs, that being your mission, takes priority over family. Well, how are you supposed to keep your family happy and the military happy? Because if you just say, hey, I'm not coming to work, well, then get used to going to jail. I mean, that's the environment that we live in. So combat stress also produces antisocial behaviors among veterans which can affect marriages. Well, Dave, you know, we've got plenty to go on this topic, and I think this is a good point to just discuss some of the things. Okay. When you say, <laughs> uh, when you say discuss, and, and again, I want to uh, ask the folks that are listening to be sure and, you know, it doesn't take much. Text us, uh, email us, whatever. If you have a question and you want an answer to it, uh, be sure that you 
we want to hear from you. And uh, we'll listen to anything that's uh, sent our way. So if you've got a question for Dr. Moeller or anything else, just let us know what's on your mind. Yeah, Dave, I, w- I wanted them to hear hear that from you as well. You know, we are, uh, and, and we don't know how many people are listening, but we do know if there's one that we've helped, that made this entire program worth it. You know, we talk about support groups and networks. Well, we're veterans, and we're here to listen to you. And tell you what you can do if you say, I don't really want to send something in. Well, use somebody else's iPhone and send it in. And just put asking for a friend. And that will be sufficient. We're not going to identify you. And as a matter of fact, uh, don't identify yourself. We, you know, this would be, well, it's, we're not your treatment people, but you just say, hey, change your rank, change your name. This is Private Mickey Mouse. And I'm asking for a friend. And that would be it. We don't want to know where you live, and we don't want to know who you are. Send it through. Uh, call the radio station and use a burner phone. We don't care. if you uh, Confidentiality, obviously this is not medical, but we preserve your confidentiality completely. So, again, don't mention your name, no identifying factors. You know, just leave a message on the phone, whatever you want. But... Uh, it will it will be a general question of a general nature. It will never be connected to you. What do you think about that, Dave? Is that a pretty good way to do it? That couldn't be better, as a matter of fact. That's perfect. Well, next week we're going to be discussing, we're going to be finishing up suicides and predictive capabilities. And again, we want our listeners, I mean, put your make a checklist. Uh, I don't think it, pencil lead's that expensive to write a few things down, listen to the archived message, and make that checklist and say, you know, today I think I may just want to go in and talk to one of my buddies about, hey, times have gotten rough, and you can use general language. They're getting too rough for me to handle. Remember, again, the VA, if you are a veteran of any conflict or a veteran veteran or you had suffered from military sexual trauma, you walk into that VA mental health and say, Dr. Don said that I can come here and get this. And he also the secretary uh, for the VA system said that, and the congressman, etc. So walk in and say, I can't take it anymore. I was a veteran, and you will get care. You can also use the veteran suicide line. They want you to call. They're very efficient. That's probably one of the most efficient things the VA does does do. Okay, Dave, well, look, it's about time, and thank you for listening, and I hope we made a difference. I think you did. You always do. Take care. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.